You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So Father, we come to you through your throne of grace this morning, and we ask that you would look on us in mercy and cover us in grace and in your faithful love, that you would be present among us, that you would convict our hearts of your love, that you would convict our hearts of the salvation that has been given to us in Christ, the Christ of Christmas that you would convict our hearts of the love that you have for us and the love that you draw us into, that we might leave here a changed people. So open our hearts that we would feel this invitation, Father. Open our ears that we would hear, our minds that we would think clearly and believe more deeply, our eyes that we would see the invitation you extend to us through Jesus Christ, the Christ of Christmas, the Christ of the cross, the Christ of resurrection, the King of the world. And it is in his name we pray, amen. Hey, just before we get into our conversation, just a couple of things. I want to give God praise and, and thank you guys. Um, we have the Advent Conspiracy Tree, and the Sunday that I announced that we needed to get it filled, uh, you guys responded, both the, the church uh, as a whole responded so profoundly. Uh, we only had one gift that remained, and that was just reserved for somebody else to take. So basically, in one plea, uh, as you do, you responded and wiped the tree out, and we provided for two families uh, in our church family and two families in the city. And in the bulletin it says thank you to all of you for that and that the tree has been taken care of. But here's what happened. We, we got a call from uh, the Head Start uh, program that we uh, supported with our children's ministry. Uh, it helps children, uh, lower income children, get a head start for school uh, pre-K. It's an amazing, amazing program. I mean, just amazing uh, 147 kids, the moms and dads, uh, if they have dads, uh, are working hard to, to provide for their kids, and this is just a chance to kind of reward what the parent is doing and uh, to give the kid the education that they need, and that's what Head Start really is about. Well, the director, Dr. Whitehead, who's a friend of mine uh, and become a friend of ours, uh, she uh, found out that there was a family in, in, in desperate need, and it's a family of five three children and, and a mother and father, and they're trying real hard uh, just to make things work in their life, working several jobs. And so uh, we went ahead and, by faith, put their, uh, their gifts on the tree. So if you want to uh, take one more stab at this and provide for one more family, uh, that would be good. We were awaiting a family. We were awaiting additional family from Head Start, and we didn't get it until last week. And so this is a family we'd asked for, and it just so happens this became the family in need. And so if we can provide for them, that would be awesome. That would be beautiful. Uh, that would be great. I know that you are a generous people. We are a generous church. Uh, as you have uh, probably discovered, we are called by God to be the most generous people in the world, and we can do this. Uh, so please uh, think about responding to that. Also want to give God praise for the number of people that showed up for the homeless uh, program shelter uh, meeting last week. I mean, it was, it was incredible. It was really just a blessing. And uh, you responded so profoundly well. And so if you responded to the meeting, uh, I give your covenant, your volunteer agreement to me or Dave today. Please, we have extra ones. If you forgot yours, sign it. We need that today. You're not a volunteer until we get the agreement. That's just part of the rules that we have to play in, play with as we partner with the other uh, churches and faith communities doing this. The sign-ups are in the back in the info center for each day. Uh, if you'll sign where you want to serve, give us your uh, volunteer agreement. Today's it. We need to fill them today. If we can't fill them today, then we're going to go to a couple of other churches that want to partner with us to do this. But we wanted to give this church, our church, a chance to really... Fill the spots. So by end of uh, church service, second service today, uh, we will fill the spots. So if you are thinking about it, you've got all of uh, 
an hour uh, to think about it. Uh, and, and, and then we're going we're gonna to fill these spots because we want to serve these people. So uh, please do that. The spots are back there. That would be a beautiful blessing to us. Finally, if you're visiting, if you're guests, uh, or if you're a part of this family, please fill out your care card and, and just put that in the plate as it comes around toward the end, the offering plate. So today we begin our Christmas series, and I've called it Christmas with Roy. Now I'm going to introduce Roy to you in a little bit. Roy's a friend of mine. He has come, and he's going to hang out with us for the next three weeks. And he's going to help us teach the Christmas story. Roy's a little odd. He's a little odd. Um, he knows it. Um, Roy's not here for shock value. Roy is here to help us understand a piece of the Christmas story that we often, uh, well, that we often don't tell in our decorations and our Christmas carols and gingerbread houses and gifts that we exchange. But before we get to Roy, I want to tell a story. God sent his people into exile as punishment for their sin and their rebellion and idolatrous ways. So King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire had succeeded in a second invasion of Judah around 597 B.C. As a result, God's people were without a home. They were without a place of worship. They were without a land. And for God's people to be without a land, it essentially meant they were without an identity. Because in Deuteronomy, they were called to be married to the land. And they had lived as though, unfortunately, that they didn't need God. And so their disobedience is what got God stirred up to raise up the Babylonian Empire, to send them to exile. God wanted to punish them for their sin, not simply because he was an angry God, but because he was hoping that in their punishment, that they would feel the weight of life without him, that they would feel the weight of the hopelessness, that they would feel the weight of the spiritual death that they were experiencing due to their own sin and their own disobedience, their own hatred of their neighbor and their own stubbornness to listen to the prophets of God. But God, being one of stubborn love and grace himself, sent them a prophet. Part of those who were exiled were, was a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel would become God's mouthpiece a proclamation of repentance and restoration. But not just that, Ezekiel would become God's hands and feet. God asked Ezekiel to do some of the most strange and random, dramatic presentations of what it meant to live life with God or to come to repentance. And so God was going to still speak to them through Ezekiel because after all, how would they know what was happening if God didn't send them a prophet to tell them? So in many ways, God's people felt dead. They were empty and they were hopeless. In many ways, God's people were dead. And don't get me wrong, they were physically and literally alive, but, but inside, in their heart, they were dead. They were dead to God. They were dead because of their own sin. They were dead even to themselves. They were dead to their humanity because sin had wrecked them so, and they were in such great disobedience and rebellion to God. They had essentially become a spiritually dead people. And so in a valley which was literally a valley of death, God came to Ezekiel. This is a dark and dry place. It was a graveyard filled with bones. And it's Ezekiel 37, beginning verse 1. <coughs> and here's the encounter. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out of his spirit. He brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. They were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. That's Ezekiel's way of saying, you're sovereign. 
You know, you, you, only you really know if they can live. I, I've heard you do crazy things before, so really, uh, only you know. And he said to me, prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life and then you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, flesh grew, and skin covered them, but but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man. Say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath Come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me. The breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. It's an amazing story. And can you imagine seeing this happen? Like you only get this pictured in in film today. But this really happened. This is one of the most famous stories in the history of Jewish tradition. And a lot of people have interpreted this story as to do with the, second, you know, with the, with the resurrection, with the second coming of Jesus, that, that this was a prophecy that pointed that far. But see, I don't think it is because it actually explains itself. I don't know how sometimes scholars um, who are incredibly smart, I mean, obviously, int- intensely smarter than I, uh, come to miss this. It's in 11 verse 14 what God is saying, and, and now their scholars are, are starting to catch on. So listen to, listen to the explanation. God begins to speak explicitly to what Ezekiel has just witnessed. Instead of the implicit sort of interpretation, here comes the explicit. And then Yahweh said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So you remember they were dead inside. They were empty because of their sin and disobedience and their rebellion. They have been in rebellion for quite some time. See, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Israel's confession is we're dead. We're dead inside. We're empty. We're hopeless. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am Yahweh, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your land, and then you will know that I am Yahweh, I have spoken, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. See, the people of God in their hopelessness who are spiritually dead inside are in need of resurrection. They're in need of life. I want to give you three words for the next three weeks, including this week, which is going to cover our Christmas series. Today, the word is life. Everybody say it with me. Life. Next week, the word will be war. Say it with me. War. And then the final week, December 23rd, the word will be trapped. Say the word with me. Trapped. Doesn't sound like a very exciting Christmas series, does it? Like, I think I'll go to another church over Christmas holiday. The word for today is life. Life. See, they were in need of life. 
See, this story is a story about regeneration and restoration. Taking what is barren and turning it into beauty. Taking what is wrecked and giving it renewal. Taking what is parched and giving it passion. Taking what is dead and giving it life. This is a story about a God powerful enough to give His people what they need, whether they realize it or not. This is a story about a God who is holy and requires that His people see the consequences of sin and disobedience, which always results in spiritual emptiness, hopelessness, and death. Yet this Ezekiel dry bones, valley of dry bones, valley of death story is a story about a God who, though He is holy, He is merciful and faithful in love and will not leave His people lost and dead in their own sin. And this is a story about a God who invites us to see hopelessness without Him like Israel did so that He can turn valleys of death into valleys of life. See, this is a story about a future moment. See, this is a prophecy that connects to Ezekiel 31 and on. A prophecy of a new covenant that would come because a new king would one day come. This story is a story that points to a day when God will once and for all do exactly what he said he was going to do in this story. Where he would turn dry bones into life. Where he would bring God's people back to the land that they were promised. Where he will give them new life. This is a story that prophesies of Christmas. See, 600 years later, from this valley of dry bones, God began the fulfillment of this prophetic promise. Except it didn't happen in a valley of dry bones, but in a stable filled with animals in a town called Bethlehem. See, over in Bethlehem at Jesus' birth, the world's first Christmas began. And it is at Christmas that God begins the process of fulfilling the promise he made in Ezekiel. Before Christ came on Christmas night, death ruled the world, church. That's something we don't talk about very often. But before Christ came on Christmas night, death ruled the world. The whole world was like a valley of dry bones, lost and hopeless in its death. The story of death is a part of Christmas. We don't share that with our kids. See, the story of death is a part of the Christmas story, and it's one we rarely tell because it just doesn't fit in the happiness of the jingle bells. Now, I'm not trying to bring us all down today, but I want us to be people who know the story. See, because the truth of the story is that while Christmas is going on, complete with Mary and Joseph and angels and shepherds and a baby Jesus, with animals, a madman is ruling over Jerusalem. His name is Herod. And he's caught word of that somewhere tonight, God is fulfilling this very promise and the promise of Isaiah and the promise of Old Testament Scripture that He has given the world a new king and Herod, like all people of privilege and power, is bent on keeping it. See, He's the king and there's nothing kings like less than the arrival of a new one. And so He's going to do something about it, King Herod. And He'll make sure that this world will feel the weight of the valley of dry bones of death. See, on Christmas, as God is beginning the fulfillment of the promise he made in Ezekiel, Herod is ordering a genocide. This Christmas isn't filled with sounds of choruses and caroling. No, it is filled with the sound of young mothers from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and all parts in between screaming as they cling to their baby. Their baby boys as Herod's soldiers draw knives. It is filled with the tears of fathers who stood powerless as there was no way to stop the murder of their sons. It is filled with the dust and the blood and had become a valley of dry bones and death. This too is a part of the Christmas story that we do not tell. But it is there. See, because this world was a valley of dry bones and death until Christmas. 
See, God will not allow Herod's valley of dry bones and death to get the last word. God will not allow the world to be trapped in this valley of sin and death. No, Jesus Christ, the king, was born on Christmas night, and so the world could finally have true life. Instead of allowing death in the valley of dry bones to rule the world, God was going to make sure that despite man's best plans, despite the enemy's best plans, despite our rebellion and our sin and disobedience, the Christ child who would be the king would be born and turn this death into life. See, Paul I'll put it this way. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 1. Because Ephesians is going to be our primary text for the next three weeks. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll camp out here. Beginning verse 3. See, Paul put it this way. He would, he would, he would summarize the Christmas story in the first three chapters of Ephesians this way. Praise the God, verse 3. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Like this is a sermon. That, that verse is a sermon in and of itself. So I just want this to soak in. I'm going to read it a little slower, uh, which you know is going to be hard for me, but I'm going to try. I want you to let this just soak in. Listen to the weight of this text. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This wasn't God's plan B. This was God knowing the world would be a valley of dry bones, a God knowing he could turn death into life. He chose us in the in him, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself. For himself. To be enjoyed by God. He wants to enjoy us and us enjoy him. That is the point of relationship with Christ. That's the point of church. He predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor, his grace, and will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved, the beloved being Jesus. Verse 7, we have redemption in Christ through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Because that is needed according to the riches of His grace, that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here it is. He made known to us the mystery of His will. See, when Ezekiel prophesied, that was just mysterious stuff. Because 600 years from that prophecy, 400 of those 600 years, God would be silent. He would not speak. No more prophets would ever come to God's people. So 200 years from Ezekiel's prophecy, there would be 400 years of silence. 600 years from Ezekiel's prophecy, Jesus would come and break the silence. And this whole Ezekiel prophecy was a mystery. Isaiah 40, 41, all the way through was a prophecy. Genesis 3 was a prophecy, and it was all a mystery. And Paul is saying that in Jesus Christ, the mystery of God's will was made known to us according to his good pleasure that he planned in Jesus for the administration of the days of fulfillment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth. On that day, on Christmas night, that was the day that God said, this is the moment. This is the moment where I will change history, I will change present, and I will change future. This is the moment where I will turn this world that has become a valley of dry bones and death into an opportunity of nourishment and life. This is the moment that I will begin a new genesis, that I will begin the work of a new creation, that when Jesus Christ is born of man, and he's fully God and fully man, and he's in the womb of this virgin girl, and he comes to birth in this stable in Bethlehem, you will still feel the weight of death and sin in the world. 
but you will know that I have come so that you can have life and no longer be trapped underneath that weight. See, God made the mystery of this will known on Christmas night when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come as the prophesied Son of Man and become the prophesied King of Kings. So Paul goes on to say in verse 11, that we have also received an inheritance. The inheritance is what? Life is our inheritance in Christ. Life with God, life eternal, life now and forever. You have received this inheritance in Christ, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. So that we who had put, already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. The weight of this passage is thick and heavy and beautiful. And it it releases all of the weight of the world if we let it. So this is where my friend Roy comes in. I wanted to cover Roy up. Good old Roy. Roy's going to be with us for the next, oh, three weeks. This is Roy. Roy, church, church, Roy. Roy's going to help us with the Christmas story. I wouldn't recommend you buy these and put them in your home next to your Santa Claus. See, Roy, Roy points to the sobering reality of Christmas that we don't often tell. See, Roy reminds us of the blessed beauty and powerful love of God in Christ, if we let Roy, which is why I wanted Roy to help me tell the story at least for the next two weeks. See, in all our presents and all our Christmas trees and all our decorations and visits to Santa and even in all our manger scenes and Christmas cantatas and Advent candles, we can forget that one of the greatest themes of the story of Christmas is that Christ came so that we could, may have, so we could have life. Christ came so that he could turn a valley of dry bones called this world into life. And, and I was talking with Roy, and he didn't say much, but, what, but one of the things that I, I figured out from Roy is that he wanted us to understand uh, what was true before Christmas night. See, what was true before Christmas night is that the world was a valley of dry bones, and people were dead spiritually inside. See, what was true before Christmas night is still true after Christmas night. See, because even after Christmas night, there are people who live among us who are still spiritually dead inside. And it's just a valley of dry bones. And see, Roy reminds us that Christmas has to be more than just our own personal celebrations and personal understandings of salvation. That Christmas is nothing without the Christ of Christmas. And Christmas carries little weight if we forget the beauty and the profound meaning of salvation in Christ. Life. See, Roy wants to remind us that the world is in need of salvation. Paul would put it this way. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were all like a Roy. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too... All previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. In other words, we too were all just, we were Roy on the inside. We, we weren't literally dead, but, but on the inside we were Roy. We were spiritually dead. We had nothing. All of our inclinations, it says, we just carried them out. All the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, we were by nature children under wrath. Like we deserved God's 
punishment. Because we were dead in our sins. Without the Christ of Christmas, we look like Roy on the inside. See, that's part of the truth of Christmas. Without the Christ of Christmas, this is us. This is us on the inside. We don't talk. We, we don't feel like we could feel. We don't, we don't hope like we could hope. We're just empty on the inside. And here's the truth, church. Living without the Christ of Christmas as your king means that we are living as though we are royal on the inside, spiritually dead. Because see, this means church people too. Because there are some of us in this room right now, we're living our lives as though Christmas never even happened. We're living our lives as if Christmas did not usher in a Christ who is Savior and King, who as John said, is full of grace and truth. Many of us have grown content to live in this valley of dry bones. We've made a profession of faith. Sure, we were baptized, sure. But we do not live a life that shows we are something more than Roy on the inside. Many of us, even church people, live our lives as though we are, we are Roy on the inside, as though we are just spiritually dead on the inside, and that we haven't even embraced the Christ of Christmas as King. And, and yet the beauty of the Christ of Christmas as King is that when we give our lives to Christ and we actually begin to trust Him and no longer live for ourselves, but we actually trust Him, we no longer live as though it was religion, we, we actually trust Him, we no longer live as though it's about the church, we actually trust Him because it's about Jesus Christ as King. When we live like like him, he gives us his spirit. See, when we come to our place our faith in him, he gives us his spirit, and his spirit fills us and grows tendons and flesh and brings our dead bodies to life and turns this Ezekiel valley of dry bones into a valley of life. But many of us, even here, are making choices and decisions in spite of Christmas, and we're singing songs, and we're looking at the tree, and we're giving gifts, and we're lighting Advent candles. The tragedy of Christmas is that it's lost its meaning so much that Christians are going to live the same way as if Christmas didn't even happen. And that is not, it's not good. And Roy, if he could talk, which you know he, he can't, would... would would tell us, don't, don't look like this. Don't be Roy. Because the Christ of Christmas is bigger than this. He gave us life. Don't be like Roy. Living as though you have received the spirit of life. Live as though you've received the spirit of life. Because you have the Christ of Christmas as king. The truth of Christmas is that God's people have life. We shouldn't live as though we don't. See, then there's the world. We Christians forget the story of Christmas that reminds us that the world was dead without Christ. And you see it this time of year in how Christians, how we treat the world during Christmas. The cashier tells you, happy holidays. And you say to him or her, no! So Merry Christmas, say it. And we get angry and put out over this so-called war on Christmas. We become angry Christians. And the, but what does Christmas remind us of? I mean, look at what Paul said. Look at the story of Christmas. It reminds us that the world is spiritually dead without the Christ of Christmas, church. The world is spiritually dead without the Christ of Christmas. When you scream at the world and fight with the world, you're screaming at people who on the inside look like Roy. You're screaming at Roy. It's not happy holidays. You don't care. It's Merry Christmas. He's not saying anything. Say it. He 
He's just, this is the world without Christ. That's what Paul is trying to say. It's the reality of God. And we as the people of the Christmas story should know this. Roy can't respond to us. Roy's not going to say Merry Christmas. You know why? Because Christ isn't his king. So don't expect him to. It makes no sense for him to say Merry Christmas. None whatsoever. And we're surprised because we're Christians and they're taking our holiday. First off, we don't know the story of our own holiday. And then we don't know the secular pagan story of our own holiday. And third, we miss the point of the holiday. We act as though our society and country and world should know better about what God loves and what God wants, but they're, but they're dead on the inside. We do. You see, this, you see this beyond Christmas season. You see this with our neighbors or like our, our relatives or our friends. We look at them and say, stop lying. What are you thinking? Stop having sex outside of marriage. What are you thinking? This is their response. Know why? Because they're spiritually dead on the inside. Well, Fred, they can make good choices. I'm not talking about good choices. I'm talking about Christ's choices. Look what Paul said. Without Christ, we're dead. We're valley of dry bones. We're walking dead people. We're spiritually dead on the inside. This is the truth of life. This is the truth of Christmas. But it's also the truth of Christmas that it is life. That God has given us life. He's given us life in Christ so that people don't have to walk around as though we're dead on the inside. And the thing I just wanted to pose, the question I wanted to ask this Sunday is, shouldn't we be more humble? Like, shouldn't God's people be more wise? Shouldn't we know the story of Christmas beyond the month of December and beyond the giving of gifts and decorations of trees? Shouldn't we live as though we know life? As if we know life. I was once a Roy, but now I'm not. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. I was dead, but now I live. Because of the Christ of Christmas, shouldn't we live as though we know life and that we have been given life by the grace of God alone in Christ Jesus? When Christians get angry over Christmas, then we forget that we've been given life anyway. We forget grace because we're angry over Christmas. We're angry because you're trying to take our holiday. And they're just dead inside. And so we're screaming and arguing and fighting with the world instead of doing what we should do. And that is actually look at Roy and offer him the invitation to life during Christmas. Instead of trying to get him to say Merry Christmas, we should try and point to him the Christ of Christmas so that he would live a merry life. See, Paul would put it this way. He would say, but... He would come into chapter 2 of verse 4 and throw in this beautifully disruptive conjunction and say, but God, but God, but you were dead, you were were like Roy, the world is like Roy, they're dead on the inside, this is the way it is, but it doesn't have to be that way. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us, everybody say the word, alive with the Messiah, even though we were, what? Dead in trespasses. You were saved by what? Grace. Together. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens. Together. This isn't just a personal salvation experience. This is a communal thing. This is a together thing. Together we've been raised up. So that in the coming ages, listen to the text. He might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is to live a much bigger life than this. 
to see the beauty and the grandeur of God. When I give my life to Christ, I have within me the possibility that's actually guaranteed if I choose to surrender all to it, to live a life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I have that in me because of the Spirit of God living in me. I can live a Spirit-filled life, a life different than anything I ever imagined. I was talking to a Christian, I'm not going to mention their name, way a while back, and they felt like they were just not feeling God because their life wasn't what they planned it to be. And I just invited them to simply listen to God, that when they felt the, the voice inside their, their gut, when they, when they felt like something was happening, when they felt like something was about to take place, that if they just listened to that and then surrender to it, do it. And this person said, well, I'm scared. What if, this, what if God wants me to do something I don't want to do? I said, welcome to humanity in Christ. But they did it, and the more they did it, the more they began to realize that God was moving in their life the more they begin to realize that though this life wasn't the way they set it up to be, though it wasn't what they had planned and they had been a Christian for years, God didn't want to leave them in that valley of dry bones. He wanted to turn that valley of dry bones into valley of life. That is the truth of the Christmas story. If you really want to keep Christ in Christmas, then we need to start living as though we have the Christ of Christmas as our king. And by surrendering to the power of God's Holy Spirit inside of us. If you really want to creep the Christ in Christmas, we must stop arguing over it and begin telling the people the story of the Christ in Christmas. The world should know the beauty and the hope of Christmas and that it's not just in a season, but that it's in every day. Because we as a people have been given life. We're no longer Roy. See, Roy has hope. Roy has hope. If someone would just tell him. If someone would just live in such a way that it got Roy's attention. But without Christ, we were all like Roy. Spiritually dead on the inside. And so Paul closes and he says, For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us ahead of time so that we should walk in them. So then remember... Remember that at one time then, remember, remember then back in the day before Christ, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. You were called the uncircumcision by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. You were the left outs, what he's saying. You were the left out and with the, uh, without hope people. You were the ones who were spiritually dead on the inside. Just remember that when you think about the Christ or Christmas so that you can remember that without the Messiah, you were excluded from the citizenship of Israel. You weren't a part of the kingdom of God. You were, you were all immigrants. You were foreigners to the covenant of promise you are without hope without God in the world but but if you remember that you'll remember the beauty of the Christmas story you'll remember the the life of the Christmas story because now in Christ Jesus you who are far away dead in your sins lost in a valley of dry bones you've been brought to God you've been given God church we have been given God the Christ of Christmas. We haven't been given Christmas. We've been given the Christ of Christmas. We've been given the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counsel, the eternal God. We've been given the fountain, the inexhaustible fountain of peace and joy in our lives. Can we just choose to leave here today and surrender all to Christ and know that the Christ of Christmas is ours and we can live a different life because of Him? If you're struggling to do it, then just go to God and say, I know the Spirit is in me. I'm not Roy. Roy's dead, and I'm dead to Roy. I'm alive to God in Christ. That is the story of Christmas. 
and all of its beautiful consequences that come thereof. Don't forget the truth of Christmas. Let's pray.